what's that thing you say about the banter bus in the pants? Uh, I'm wearing my big boy bounce pants. Yeah, yeah. Why? Are you wearing your big boy bounce pants? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have any Damn shoes it, on me, so I can't get on the banter bus. The banter bus, I just what? missed it. I just missed the banter bus. It left. You need to get on the banner it bus and do the podcast. Me. You know what, Lauren? <sighs> I went to church the other day to see the Archbishop mm -hmm. of Banterbury. He wouldn't see me. He <laughs> wouldn't see me. Excommunicated. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, that's so sad. Are we just both then standing on the side of the road waiting for a bus that'll never come? Yeah, it's never coming. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that injects Jane Austen and the three Bronte sisters with tuberculosis and sees which ones die and which, which ones die. <laughs> the answer oh, is man. half of them died of it. Sorry, Brontes, you lose <laughs> this week. Wow. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. I'm team Austen through and through. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. I am team Bronte. Team tuberculosis. Look Team I feel like I'm Team TB this week. Oh my god! You just got the I'm post my like Christmas team sickies. Team TB tracksuit. I'm like ready to <laughs> represent at the sick Olympics. I'm ill. Oh no! I'm not okay. <laughs> I love how I really wanted to push through this week, and I was like, no, the week after Christmas or the week of Christmas, we will post an episode. And then I'm like. I understand now why everyone takes this week off because it's the worst. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're both traveling. We both have like post Christmas just fatigue and sickness. It's just like the girl next to me at work was she popped all of these pills and she is just like doing shots of ginger juice. And she's like, I'm going to beat the cold season because New Year's is on its way. And I was like, bitch, I never get sick. And then I woke up this morning, <laughs> like, less than 24 hours after saying that. And now, look at me. <laughs> You're done for it. You're done for. This is how You're gonna have to... I die. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you're going to have a lovely, quiet weekend at home. Or a lovely, quiet New Year's at home, right? Yeah. Is that sad? Yeah. But I've been... No, I was invited not. out. I was invited out, but... Um... I just, I think I went away. I went to Cumbria for Christmas. It was a lot. I just need to be with my cats. <laughs> just need to chill out for a bit. I picked I up like an eight month like stack of comics from my local store because I hadn't been to mm -hmm. get my standing orders before I went to America, Lauren. So I have oh got, my God. I've got a lot of reading to do. It's such a big pile. Now, we're not just chatting shit. This week, we're talking yeah. a lot about our favorite reads of 2017. So that's our, our focus. And Lauren's been hounding you all, trying to get you to talk about your favorite books of the year. And it doesn't mean it's been published this year, but just what you've picked up and what, what you've read and enjoyed. So we've got loads of listener yes. favorites to share with you. And hopefully you'll discover something uh, to read next year in 2018, because you've run out yeah. of days. Unless you're a quick reader. <laughs> you have. It's over. It's 
2017 is gone. This whole, the time this this whole episode posted, is an advert for Amazon over. Prime. <laughs> get it, get it now. <laughs> you've still got, you've got two days. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I posted a thread on Facebook and Twitter and Insta yesterday asking you guys what your favorite reads of 2017 were. And it, it was funny because I was like a little bit nervous at first because people like weren't responding. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Is anyone going to respond? And I was really annoying on Twitter and I tagged a bunch of people. <laughs> and then suddenly it was like, boom, I did. Oh my God. And then it was like, boom, like a million notifications. Like you guys were just getting your lists ready, basically. You have to think Like everyone sent me stuff. such like, yeah, people had to think. They had to like, you know, they were like fact checking. They were finding authors' handles on Twitter. Oh my gosh. I know you guys um, really came through with this list. So this is going to be our best books of 2017 episode. And it's going to be a long one because uh, we have a lot of books to talk about today. So are you ready? Do you have your podcast seatbelt on? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, wait, I can't laugh. Glad, if I laugh, you... I'm going <laughs> to... It's like snot going to shoot out of your nose. Oh, no. Well, I'm glad you got your seatbelt on because you don't have your band's pants on. So we need something to help. (laughs) Oh, no. I was so excited. Ah. I was shutting my band's pants. (laughs) (laughs) I bantered everywhere. You bantered just all over the place. Actually, do you know what flanter is? No, I have no idea. Is that so, a real word? Yeah, it's a real word. Flanter is flirtatious banter. And what me and mine like to say is um, flanter all over your face. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone's, if someone's coming on a bit strong, uh, mm-hmm. you know, oh, she flanted all over his face. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> disgusting. Okay, sorry. I just Flanter. I'd, uh, okay. Share that before we well it's a it's a great way to start off the new year feel free to cut it with a new with a new <laughs> word <laughs> no it, that's that's staying in um Solid go. so yeah let's go uh let's go over to twitter and see what you guys had to say over there for your favorite books of 2017 we will start with our friend mary Cravenus or purdy mary Kay, as she is known over there on twitter so she loves sourdough Me too. by robin sloan did you read it too no, I just, it's my favorite bread. <laughs> it's just your favorite bread. Um, well, it's funny because like it inspired Mary to start making sourdough, which she made um, homemade sourdough for us before our Naughty Bonnets taping, actually. And it was delicious. I just, well, I just eat, eats it on, on its own. It's just it's great. Yeah. Great bread. I hear nothing but great things about this book. I definitely want to put it on my list as well. Another one that uh, Mary was into was Let Me Tell You, which is a collection of Shirley Jackson's writing. And I love Shirley Jackson. She wrote uh, We Have Always Lived in a Castle, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Wow. So Let Me Tell You is definitely going to be on my list. Um, Another one that uh, we received a lot of love for was uh, brought into us by Judge underscore Re and Quill underscore Jen. They loved Mr. Rochester by Shara Shoemaker. In this book, according to Jen, Rochester works in a textile mill and uh, Jen appreciated the sort of like Rochester 
Thornton combo there. Yeah. And um, of course, speaking of Thornton, you guys loved North and South. This was like a huge um, it was, book of the year for you guys. It was great, wasn't it? Wasn't that just like it a was. highlight of the year? It was definitely for me. I didn't put it on my end of the year list because I knew that we would talk about it on the podcast anyway. And I think you guys know that I loved, I just loved reading it with you. It was like such a special experience. Yeah. Um, North and South got a shout out from Rendezvous with Reading, Leslie Ann 76, Abby Daly, Carly Tuckerman, Kristen Shook. Um, yeah, those guys loved it. It was a great book. And guys, if you haven't read it yet, if you've been putting it off, read it. The episodes are there. They're waiting. It's never too late. We still want to exactly. hear what your thoughts are, especially if they're about Mr. Thornton. And we've got so much yeah. Elizabeth Gaskell content coming up next year. Indeed. There is still time. Get on your Amazon Prime and order it. <laughs> it's can, the best way to buy books, guys. You can still read it before the end of next, this year, this year. Yeah, yeah. So some other books that you guys were shouting out about um, was Belgravia by Julian Fellows. Isn't he the bloke that did uh, Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey. Yeah, he is. I, I've been meaning to read this book as well. It keeps popping up on my like recommended books on Amazon. Did you watch the Titanic thing he did? I didn't, actually. I didn't. But what I really loved about that, and this is off topic, I'm sorry, but all of the people who were like, oh, Julian Fellows is doing Titanic for the centenary. That film's not 100 years old. <laughs> like, how is Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie that's 100 years old? And it was all over Twitter. And it's just oh, like, no. It's a thing that really happened. Uh, so, yeah, Julian Fellows is getting snaps from uh, Kaylee Rohn and... Elsa Ashton and Jennifer Brown. I'm sorry if I said anyone's name wrong. Um, a book <laughs> that got loads of attention as well was The Austin Project, which I really want to read and I haven't gotten around to yet. Uh, and that was That's okay. Is that is that okay? Is the book it's okay? It's okay because we're okay going to that I haven't read it. <laughs> it's okay that you haven't read it because we're going to do it on the show in season two. So season two. Hold out for it, Hannah. Hold out for it. Well, I got all those book vouchers for Christmas because every time someone said, what do you want? I was like, just give me a book voucher or some money yeah. to spend on Amazon Prime. <laughs> no <laughs> one did that. I, don't, I actually don't have Amazon Prime. Uh, so the Austin Project was recommended by Kathleen Flynn and also at SM Green Arts and at Persuasion underscore JA. What could the JA stand for? Uh, and it's being read <laughs> at the moment. Is it being read at the moment by the Jane Austen Book Club? I think Club. it might be the one that's on deck for the Jane Austen okay. Book Club. But yeah. And that's run by uh, our lovely friend, Amanda Beverly, who is a constant lurker. If this was like, oh, well, on the Facebook group, I should say. I always think that if mm -hmm. Bonnets at Dawn was like an old school web forum, like the ones I used to go on when I was 15, You've got like mm -hmm. certain people that I think would definitely be our moderators. Yeah. And we'd be the admins. Right. And then, you know, Amanda's a mod. Yeah, she's that? absolutely a mod. Absolutely a mod. For sure. Maybe we'll make that a thing. We can't make it a thing, can we? Let's ditch Facebook and I'll just make us a, a forum. <laughs> just an old school forum. Yeah, like forum. an old school one. I'll like that would be great. get my old handle out. 
lonely girl. <laughs> what, what a time. Yeah, I think that would be, it'd be fantastic. Um, <laughs> a lot of, I think there's, I feel like there's a lot of books in this list that like Amanda has like recommended or read recently too. Yeah. Um, can't wait to meet her when we go to the Jane Austen Festival in Kentucky this summer. Be really Speaking exciting. of uh, people that are always on our Facebook group, who we appreciate, Louise Logan, your recommendations uh, included Home Fire by Kamala Shamsi, Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders, Exit West by Mushin Hamid, and Winter by Ali Smith. And I haven't read any of those. I haven't read any of those. I have heard of a couple of them. So definitely going to go read like about them on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, but you won't buy them because you don't have time to read anymore. <laughs> oh, God, isn't it so sad? I'm going to hire someone I feel to like... read for me. <laughs> I know. I, d- I need a reader. I just I want someone to walk around and, you know, just be like a live audiobook for me. Yeah. That's what I really want. Maybe in the future when we've got robots. That's what I was that's... for my niece this Christmas. Oh, that's lovely. It was great. See, that's what I want. I that's read a lot of Beast Quest, let me tell you. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, more recommendations. Okay, Jen Brown and Kaylee Roan both cried at The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. So, in fact, Kaylee was saying that she was even crying uh, while listening to the audiobook while she was at work in her cube, hashtag wretched bondage. <laughs> I totally get it. Cause like, I've definitely been there. I've sworn I while regularly... to the Game of Thrones audiobook at work. Like, oh, have you? Yeah, there's a big character who dies in like a really shocking way. And I was just like, <laughs> and then the door was open and my manager just came off the shop floor and was like, I do not know what you think you're doing, but. You cannot. You cannot. cannot swear up a blue storm in here, Missy. No. No, not allowed. Um, I totally the other day was listening to. Have you ever heard the uh, conventions episode of This American Life? It's a pretty old one, no. but it's beautiful and it will make you cry. Oh, and it really set me off. <laughs> and I was just sobbing and sobbing until I like got like a headache, and then my husband. Like came in the room and was just like, what is going on? Because I was just like sitting there staring at the computer screen, just like sobbing. And I was like, nothing. Everything's fine. Everything's just okay. Fine. I just I can't stop now. Um, Yeah, it was like a faucet. Just couldn't just couldn't turn it off. It was terrible. Anyway, <laughs> Maggie Rachel, our good friend over on Twitter's had a bunch of really great recommendations. Um, one that caught my eye was DC Trip by Sarah Benincasa. I'm putting this on my to-do list, even though it sounds like something I it just would not get on my radar. And it's about a teacher that um, takes a group of students, like this cha- she's a chaperone, um, to a trip uh, to DC. So, but it just, it had, a, it sounded really funny and really quirky. And um, I have a lot of friends who are teachers who like actually do tell me that these like trips that they like chaperone their students on are like, just completely ridiculous. Oh, so. I bet they're wild. Oh, look, yeah. my voice is completely gone. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like I actually, uh, I really want to check that one out. She also added um, "The Girl Who Chased the Moon" by Sarah Addison Allen, 
And one of my favorites, Hawkeye, My Life is a Weapon, which is by Matt Fraction and David Aja. That is a graphic novel, guys. And I highly, highly recommend anything by Matt Fraction. I also really enjoy Sex Criminals. Uh, I hate um, Sex Criminals. I like Sex Criminals. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know how many people I was just like, they'd have it on their standing order and I'd just be like, oh, it's funny because I used to think that we liked the same sort of things, but... Yeah, I guess you're into. Guess you like this, huh? I enjoy sex criminals. And then they I think take the it off because my taste is flawless. <laughs> she also threw um, Paper Girls on there, which I started this year, and then I um, also haven't picked up my stack of comics for like seven months. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a I have a ton of Paper Girls yet. to read. <laughs> yeah, so ready. Ton of it. I think, yeah, and it's okay. Uh, you know, I think Brian K. Vaughan is a strong start and a saggy middle and a strong finish. So, yes, exactly. I think you're totally I'm right. I'm around um, at the middle arc point and I just, it's like saga. I'm just like, I get a bit apprehensive. You get a power like through. Like I'm yeah. I get less keen to read it each month. I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I will say for those of you that are new to comics, um, I feel like Brian K. Vaughn is always, a, he's always at the top of the list, like of people that I recommend to people. Yeah. Cause, um, I love Runaways. Um, and then Why the Last Man? Um, and then there's Saga and uh, Paper Girls is his like sort of latest. So yeah, I check Brian, him Brian K. Vaughn's a, a really interesting person who, it, he writes a lot of uh, female characters. And I feel like he's always doing something interesting with it and it never feels gratuitous or like he's doing it for attention. Like the st- he's yeah. always telling like very interesting and very authentic stories. And so I just, I yeah, just he's wish very, more he's... writers who had been around in comics, like, cause he, he's got like a huge reputation, a huge following. Like he's, it's very successful. And then you've got mm-hmm. other people who are like comparably shockingly bad at writing women yeah and he was just like well I will say, like, he can do it like come on it's totally true i think he's a very thoughtful writer he's yeah. very good he's very good at plotting he has very interesting ideas um maybe his weak side um is like dialogue he's not super strong with dialogue yeah but i do think that he puts a lot of direction and thought into what visuals you're getting so that doesn't really tend to bother me as much with him the but, other thing yeah, as I well, think he's a really that, thoughtful writer, but sometimes the middle thinks, is a little rough. He thinks big. He thinks very big. And I think yeah. sometimes with projects like that, that it's that's where you get that drag in the middle. Yeah. And you absolutely. Just, and it's you're like, I know like I the end point is there. Like I never think that mm-hmm. someone like it might be ten volumes long, but you'll get there eventually. And then the middle bit is just yeah. like it doesn't it's all sometimes it feels like we're just getting story to make it feel weighty so like yeah the thing with saga like there's but, this drug storyline in the middle and like a domestic abuse storyline in like two two issues and i didn't mm-hmm. like and it was a cliffhanger and i was like i don't buy it like because i know that this story is going to go on for another like 15 books so right like there's no there, there's no consequences to this encounter at all <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't ring true in any way it's just... i think because he like he thinks big and he thinks long like it might he might be one of those writers that's hard to edit too 
Yeah. Because it's just like you have to know like the the plan for like 10 books. You know what I mean? Like you just have to really yeah. like work ahead. And um, both of the things he's would, one of those... Like, those would have worked if they were more integral to the major arcs. It was just they were just thrown right. in. Right. I think it's always really obvious he, when he does that, when he's just like, oh, here you go, have a nugget for this issue. Ex Machina had some of those problems as well, actually. What will? Ex Machina, which was one of his earlier Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which I felt like just really could have been a really tight, like, five graphic novels instead of, yeah, you know, like, exactly. I was like, this is really, yeah, it like, could have been a really tight story. Just edit it down. Yeah. Just edit it down. Um, but he is one of those creators... Kind of like like Brian Fuller, who's one of my favorite like showrunners, mm-hmm. um, who ha- yeah he thinks big and he's got lots of ideas and plans, and if you let him run the course, like it's going to be worth it. But I do think yeah, like it's just there's a lot there that you need to work through. Um, but yeah, great great writer guys, check him out if you are new to graphic novels. I think like starting with Why the Last Man is always just yeah perfect. It's fine. It's good. I really liked it. I don't know why. It's, it's I really liked it. Oh, yeah, I really liked it, actually. So moving away from graphic novels, um, we had a few recommendations from the Brit Lit podcast. And uh, what were those, Hannah? So they suggested Freshes by Tom Allen and Lucy Iverson, Unconventional by Maggie Harcourt and Eleanor Oliphant. Oh, no. And Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Honeyman. I got confused then because I thought it was written by someone related to Timothy <laughs> Oliphant. <two> <laughs> and I was like, oh, the man with the moustache. Uh, All fantastic. He's great, isn't he? In Deadwood. <laughs> People shame. really love All fantastic. What's All fantastic? Oh, it's just what they call him. Is it? Yeah. Who's they? Like his friends and colleagues. Well, he doesn't have friends. Yeah, probably not. I just he, he strikes me as just being unbearable. That mustache. <laughs> well, I think Ola Fantastic might be a little bit facetious. Yeah. So, so there's that. <laughs> uh, and Helen Shine also um, recommended Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine too. So I guess we've got a couple of Timothy Oliphant fans in the room. Yeah. Yeah, it is a it is a story about Timothy Oliphant's sister, right? I hope so. And she's fine. Yeah. She's all right. She's totally she's fine. Totally she's fine. totally She's completely fine, guys. Uh May's teapot included uh Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee, Firebrand by Kristen Britton, and Uprooted by Naomi Novik, which Kat Maguire also really enjoyed. Let's see now. Um, I'm going to go ahead and change course real quick and get our best of books on the list. Yeah. How about that? And then we will continue on with more listener recommendations later on in the show. But uh, I'm just going to go ahead and throw out three fiction books that I loved this year. So... One being my first purchase from Persephone Books, which was High Wages by Dorothy Whipple. Oh, my God. I love Dorothy Whipple, by the way. And I really want to fit like some Dorothy Whipple programming into the podcast. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do it this year, but 
And by this year, you mean we next will see year because this year has. I like... mean, twenty eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because our programming for season two is just like really filling up. But um, highly, highly, highly recommend High Wages. I feel like even just the first page is such a joy to read, That's and cool. I would definitely we'll read that this year. We we might we might be able to. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and um, definitely get the Persephone edition because they're like four words their introductions are so good they're so well researched they always have just like i don't know they're just such great information in them so i just think that the persephone edition is absolutely worth the money um the little stranger is another book that's on my list that's by sarah waters that's another author that i really love and i would love to talk about on the show a little bit more i think sarah waters is an author if you are a if you are team bronte then i think Sarah Waters is definitely up your street. Um, The Little Stranger was just, you know, it was just kind of creepy and I don't know, it was interesting, family drama. I loved it. Um, Weirdly, I haven't read Fingersmith yet by Sarah Waters. So I need to put that on my list. I really loved the adaptation of that. So I'm very keen to, maybe we should read it at the same time, Lauren. Not necessarily, but we could both read it and then. Yeah, and then talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always down to read her. I always read her very quickly. I also read um, The Paying Guest, and I can't remember if I read that in 2016 or 2017, but I would recommend that one as well. It's really good. It's another, like, I love a post-war Britain story. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? (laughs) Um, Another book on my list for this year was Ghost Talkers by Mary Robinette Cole, who sometimes listens to this show. So hello, if you're out there, Mary, and um, love the book. And also uh, Carly Tuckerman listed Shades of Milk and Honey, which is also by Mary, um, as one of her favorite reads of 2017 as well. And uh, I highly agree with you, Carly. It's one of my, actually my favorite books. So yeah, Hannah, what about you? What did you read this year? Um, Well, I feel like, I feel like I didn't read that much, but that's crazy because I definitely, I definitely, you definitely read. read. Yeah. Like shit. You read for the show. Um, well, I just, some of the stuff that I've read outside of the show, because I think like a quick rundown of stuff I've read for the show, North and South, obviously. Great. Belair, I'm not including, sorry. Uh, Jane Eyre, fantastic. Reread Persuasion, just finished that. Excellent. Um, I really, really enjoyed Helena Kelly's Jane Austen, The Secret Radical. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to read some more books about Jane Austen and just kind of challenge my own ideas and my own biases that I've built up and pretend that I don't have. So that was really exciting this year. Uh, Over Christmas, I read a book that wasn't to do with my degree and wasn't to do with this podcast. It was so nice. Whoa, what was it? I read The Power by Naomi Alderman, who is, she's a lecturer at Bath Spa. She wrote this running app called Zombies Run. And, um, oh, yeah, I know that. Okay. Yeah. So she wrote this novel where basically women around the world suddenly develop a skein, um, in their collarbone, Mm -hmm. which just has like electricity in it and they can like fire it out. And then obviously, the dynamics of power around the world start shifting. 
because women suddenly have this very volatile in in some people and like very immediately powerful way of like inflicting harm and asserting authority and so Mm -hmm. like and men are scared and like how just how it reacts and how it kind of builds up over time it's not a perfect book I had some problems with it because I don't like anything truly but it was (laughs) it was excellent uh I read Ted Hughes the Iron Giant my niece oh nice that book is perfect actually I think that is the perfect book Oh, it was. There's so many books that I'm like looking forward to reading with a child. Like one of them that I picked up this year, uh, I think on my first trip to England in January was Charlotte. Sometimes have you ever read that? Yeah. I think it's by Penelope Wine. I want to say. I might be totally wrong. Um, so I'm just like fact checking myself right now because <laughs> I'm like, who wrote this book? <laughs> It was listed as a, um, like, British, like, just like a classic, too. Penelope Farmer. Have it, Penelope I haven't Farmer. heard of it. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, a lot of people, you know, when I read the reviews, were like, oh, I read this in school. You know, I read this when I was a young girl. And it's um, about a little girl in a boarding school who, like, sometimes she wakes up and she's, like, 40 years in the past. Oh. So it's about, like time travel and British history and sort of like finding your identity as a young woman. That sounds great. And it's really great. It's uh, probably, I'd say like nine and up, 10 and up, somewhere around there. But um, I thought it was a really lovely book. And I was like, oh, I want to read this to a child (laughs) somewhere. Uh, Two last books very quickly. And then I think I'll be done. I've been reading... Mm -hmm. um, a time traveler's guide to uh, medieval England. Oh, nice. Which is, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, uh, it's excellent. It's very well written. Um, it's a very accessible book. And mm-hmm. like, obviously with my reenactment, it's just yeah. a really accessible way of learning about just like everything. I actually ended up quoting like a huge chunk of it about some tree laws in my Mm-hmm. Um, master's dissertation which Lauren and I had like we kept going back and forth about whether or not I should keep it in because it's interesting but in no way really relevant to what I was talking about I just think you could do an entirely like different dissertation on I know laws. yeah <laughs> and then also this little book that's I've seen in every bookshop in England and I got it at Persephone it's called We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie Oh, nice. So, and that's uh, based on, I think it's like a transcript of a TEDx talk. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a good read. So, yeah, so that's not everything I read this year, but it's been a good year for that's reading. Right. It feels like it- I've read more this year than perhaps I have in the last few years. Like, just properly, like, sitting down right. to read. Like, well, I'm impressed that you did all the reading for your master's, all the reading for this podcast, and then also some pleasure reading on the side. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's pretty good. I had the I had the old Netflix Yule Log video on yesterday. Oh, while you while were I reading? was reading, just because oh, it was nice. so nice, and I was just on my own, and then my housemates came back, and they were like, "Oh, <laughs> oh, you're uh, having some you time." <laughs> yeah exactly like you're interrupting a moment it was great i had like some dairy-free chocolate oh delightful 
<laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to doing some of that this weekend with the, um, you know, not dairy-free chocolate, just the full, just the regular just chocolate for me. Thanks. All the dairy. Yeah. I'm fine with all the dairy. Um, so I have a few books that are on my nonfiction list. Uh, I think I read slightly more nonfiction than I do read fiction. So this was really, really tough because I also read a ton this year to research for the podcast. But I'm just going to pick out three books here that I really enjoyed and want to recommend to you guys. Uh, one being The Bronte Cabinet, Three Lives and Nine Objects by Deborah Lutz. So um, I like this book so much. I actually, I didn't finish. So I don't know if this counts. So I only right. read like half of it. I stopped it because I was like, no, wait, Hannah needs to read this too. And then we need to discuss it on the show. So that is going to be one of our books that we actually do like a full episode on next season on the show, The Bronte Cabinet. I highly recommend it if you want to read along with us. That would be great. Um, it is a very unique biography. That's what I like about it because I read so many biographies in the Brontes. It's hard to like come up with a different angle, but this is actually like talking about objects that are like at the Bronte parsonage and like what those objects meant to the Brontes, their lives, giving it like historical context. It's, I think it's really fascinating. I think it also like makes me feel closer to the Bronte parsonage, which I dearly love. So it is a great book. Um, yeah, expect a full review next season. What else do I got on this list? Ooh, Sophie Franklin's Charlotte Revisited. So we had Sophie on the show um, for the Course Brontes episode. Yeah. And I embarrassingly like had not read her book then. But um, after she was on the show, I read it and I really loved it. And I think uh, the thing that I love about it is something that you were saying earlier about the Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England, mm-hmm. which is the accessibility. Yeah. Um, I think it's really hard when you're writing nonfiction, like you're you're gathering all these facts. And I think you become like some, some people become like so excited and they just want to tell you like all these bits of information that sometimes aren't completely relevant or really like shaping a story. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what I love about Sophie is that she's very cohesive and she's very well researched. And I just like the way that she breaks down the material because there's a lot of material to digest with the Brontes. And um, I felt like I also learned new things about Charlotte in this book. So definitely check out Charlotte Revisited. And the last book that I am putting on my list is Devony Lucer's The Making of Jane Austen. So another book, um, which like kind of is similar to Sophie's and to Deborah Lutz's in the sense that it's very, very unique. And then it's also very, you know, well-written and accessible and just, yeah, like you're, you're going to get it like these big concepts in this book. And um, what we're going to do now is interrupt our book discussion and have a little interview with Daphne that I taped quite a while ago. So sorry, Daphne, for holding on to this for so long. But hey, you're on the Best Books of the Year podcast. So that's great. So I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, well, I'm definitely not anti Bronte. I mm-hmm. get why Smackdown is a fun way to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, two together. Uh, but I, I would say I read the Brontes a lot in my late teens and 20s. And 
love all of the uh, novels that I read. I haven't read all of Charlotte's, I will admit to that. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm supposed to love Valette, and I don't. Uh, but I very much like um, Jane Eyre. Wuthering Heights, Emily's, is a, a, a fabulous, fabulous book. And Tenet of Wildfield Hall is one I think I should reread. I, yeah. I think I will appreciate it in new ways from when I first read it in, in graduate school. Uh, but I liked it then, too. So, you know, I would say all three Brontes, go Brontes. Uh, you know, and I think the Charlotte hatred for Jane Austen gets overplayed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's Smackdown is a fun way to talk about any two literary figures. So I say go Smackdown. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> now what I want to do is I just um, I interviewed Caroline Alton the other day from the International Center of Victorian Women Writers. Mm -hmm. And she loves... Villette. So now I want to get you two in a room and have a smackdown. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> I think that would be wonderful. Um, so yeah, you do so many things. Give me a rundown on all the Jane Austen stuff you're doing over there. Yeah, well, I, you mean the related to the book or related to roller derby or where we where are we headed with I this? Guess, yeah, your whole list. So, you, you know, you, I'm, you teach? You got a yeah, book? So you roller derby? I'm, There's so many things. So I'm professor of English at Arizona State University, where mm -hmm. I get to teach both undergraduate and graduate level courses in person and online. So in all sorts of formats, large lecture, small seminar, uh, I always tell people I have the best job on campus, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that I get to read uh, and teach Jane Austen for a living is a pretty lucky thing that way. And I certainly don't in, uh, in make an, my students don't require them to have the same passion for her that I do, but sure. I really hope that watching my enthusiasm and my passion leads them to find the thing that is that for them. Uh, and, you know, that it doesn't have to be Austin, whatever it is for you that fires you up. Mm -hmm. So she, she is an author who has inspired, uh, you might even say shaped or determined <laughs> almost every aspect of my adult life, which is kind of wild. Yeah. So in addition to teaching her. Uh, you know, I, I write about her. I do professional travel to libraries and, um, you know, look at rare books and manuscripts related to her life and her mm -hmm. afterlife. So that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Being, a library, being a library rat uh, in the service of Jane Austen studies is pretty great. But then as a hobby, I also uh, have played roller derby and my nom to skate is Stone Cold <laughs> Jane Austen, my alter ego. And I've had a, a real pleasure over the years skating as um, as a sort of weird version of her. <laughs> it's a, a perverse version of, uh, of Austin and Stone Cold Steve Austin, the professional wrestler. Uh, I also met my husband over a conversation on Jane Austen. This is and, my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I'd be happy to say more about that. We have we have two sons who are uh, tween teen mm -hmm. boys. And my standard line about them is that they find Jane Austen tolerable, but untempting. That's uh, fair. But, yeah. <laughs> I understand. They've also been raised in a strange, Austin-saturated world uh, that I think they don't appreciate now, but I hope they will someday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I can, I, I understand where they're going. That's like how I feel about my mom's music, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, and she's the one who introduced you to uh, to Austin, is she not? She is, she's guilty. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've heard you tell that story, which is a beautiful story, and I, I think a story many of us have. Uh, yeah. Our mother's, our mother's putting the, the classics before us and responding to that in various ways. And obviously for each of us, it took differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the most common 
a way to, I think, because I ask everyone on the podcast, you know, how were you yeah. introduced to Austin? And I think it's mostly my mother passed it down um, every once in a while at school. But right, yeah, right. yeah. One of the two. So how about you? Yeah, same. Um, the, the little twist to my story is my mother put Pride and Prejudice in front of me a number of times. And it, it was difficult for me to get access to the language. Like many of us, I struggled the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the third time I started, it really took. I loved it. Um, I couldn't get enough Austin. I kept reading her. Uh, you know, I think it led me ultimately to an English major in college and then mm-hmm. to, to graduate school. But it was only um, in the graduate school years that I wanted to talk about Austin with my mother and she admitted that she'd never read her. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know how I went this long without understanding, you know, misunderstanding that she had put this book in front of me but never read it herself. And she wanted me to be an education, educated person mm-hmm. uh, and knew that Austin was someone you should read if you wanted to be educated. Yeah. And to me, that now is really a moving detail. I was a first-generation college student, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's moving to me that Austin gets handed down even as an idea, uh, and that that's what led my mother to put it before me was a kind of ambition for me by her that I would be more learned, that I would take my education further than she had, and that Austin right. was a part of that. Oh, yeah, that is beautiful. Now, has she read it since? Or did she read it since? <laughs> okay, so uh, my, my parents know that this is what I do, obviously. <laughs> uh, my dad is the one who is now um, at age 78 reading Pride Prejudice for the first time. Oh, and nice. he said to me just this week, I'm to the part where Lydia Bennett is going to Brighton with Mrs. Forster, and I think she's going to get in some trouble there, but don't, <laughs> don't tell me. Uh, you know, and I just, so I've been really loving watching my father in his late 70s read this book for the first time. My mother is not so much of a reader anymore mm-hmm. uh, in late life, so she is, I'm told, looking at a kind of children's version of it, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. You're going to get there. That's right. That's right. And maybe they've, you know, they've, they've gleaned some, some of the story from just you, just osmosis too. Sure. And they've seen the film adaptations that, I mean, oh, they're, sure. they're, they're familiar with the story, uh, but uh, you know, you need to read it in the original, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like we always say, and also don't read the Wikipedia page. It's just, it's so much better. Like the real text is so much better. Or better, I think some of us should get in and rewrite that Wikipedia page. You know, we need oh we need to be God. <laughs> need to be doing more sort of wiki um, workshopping as J Knights and getting in there and making some of these pages deeper and better. I think that's a fantastic idea, and I actually think our podcast listeners are the people to do it. Like they will do it. <laughs> do it. Let's do it. Yeah, this is a call, guys. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> now. Um, the story about your, you you and your husband, it was funny because Hannah and I were talking about that and she was like, that's hilarious. I feel like that's how we met. <laughs> oh, that's great, Lauren. That is great. <laughs> so, yeah, where did you guys meet? He Does he also teach at ASU? He does. He uh, is a professor of English as well. And mm-hmm. sometimes we team teach a course on Austin. But we met because we were both 18th century literature specialists by training. Mm-hmm. We met at a professional conference called the American Society for 18th Century Studies. Its acronym is ASEX. It doesn't <laughs> It doesn't sound like the place where you would meet a spouse, maybe. Right, exactly. Uh, but, but in our case, we met at ASEX. 
uh, and we had a, a conversation, a first conversation over Austin, and he asked me what my favorite Austin novel was, a gambit I know you like in conversation too, right? So he uh, he asked me that, and I said, well, my my the one I'm doing the most work on, the one I've done the most work on is Northanger Abbey. He got very impatient. He said, I did not ask you which one you did the most work on. <laughs> you know, I asked you which one was your favorite. And I said, okay, well, my favorite is Pride and Prejudice. And that is mm-hmm. still true for me, by the way. Nice. Uh, he said, that is not my favorite. My favorite is Mansfield Park. And I said, well, my least favorite is Mansfield Park. <laughs> That's <laughs> everyone's least favorite. <laughs> well, not his. Uh, and, and I said, I, it's because I don't like the heroine, Fanny Price. Mm-hmm. I think she's too much like me. I think she's boring. Mm-hmm. And he says that was the moment when he knew he wanted to marry me. And I say that he must have decided he wanted a boring wife. Um, so we have, a, we have a good chuckle about that. But we, um, we continued to talk, and it really was one of these when you know, you know, kind of love at first sight um, meetings for both of us, lightning striking kind of thing. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and so we were married about a year later. Oh, my gosh. I, we, our parents were a little bit freaked out. I think we even when we decided we were going to get married, uh, we decided we'd have a, a secret engagement, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, Frank Churchill, Jane Fairfax style, because we thought if we wait a couple months, maybe our families won't be quite so freaked out. Uh, but right. they, even with a couple of months buffer, they were a little freaked out. Wow. wow. <laughs> Jane Austen, bringing people together. Yeah, and I have to say, Lauren, he was very persuasive because I, I was pretty skeptical of marriage as an institution. Okay. Uh, skeptical. But mm-hmm. as he was very for it and, um, you know, he was he was persuasive. Oh, man. And how long have you guys been married? We've been married since 96. So that's 21 years. Wow. Awesome. And this, like, now I really also want to come down and see you guys team teach a Jane Austen <laughs> class, too. It'd be fascinating. Well, and we argue with our students. Uh, you know, we, we'd say, you know, marry couple fights about literature and you learn something in the process. That's how yeah. it's supposed to go. That's how it's supposed to go. Uh, and I think most students find it amusing to hear us debate uh, with each other the various ins and outs of Austin's fiction or Austin's life. But we did get uh, one course evaluation the last time we taught the course where a student was clearly really disturbed, um, <laughs> said, you know, the, the professors are fighting with each other in class and it makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, and I, I just, I wonder what kind of conflict-free household this student grew yeah, up seriously. in. Uh, because we're also doing a lot of laughing. So I, I guess I, it never occurred to me that someone could find our needling each other and teasing each other disturbing. Right. But it did happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think that would be your response. I think you would. No, uh, no I'd, be way, I'd be way into it. I'd be probably jumping into the fray as well. Love, love to have you here. Let's work it out. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Now, what are some of the other things that you guys clash about? Uh, you know, I, we talk about whether... Um, it, there's this great book, Deborah Yaffe's Among the Jainites, which you yeah. may have. T- yeah. So she wrote about our courtship in chapter five, the knowledge business. So some of this is already a story that's told in print <laughs> that uh, that you can read about. But one of the things you'd see if you took a look at, at Yaffe's book is that George is big on starting with, I liked this character, or I didn't like this character. And I, I would rather push students beyond the kind of what appeals, what doesn't appeal, and try to say, how is that emotional response 
created or shaped by what the fiction is trying to do mm-hmm. <laughs> or trying to do to you. Um, so I think he's more happy to do a lot of the, um, what I, what I would call the, the, the more cheerleadery kinds of Austin, uh, Austin conversations. And mm-hmm. I want I want to get to the deeper stuff. I want to get to the deeper <laughs> stuff. And he's like, let's start with the yay raw. Uh, and, and I'm like, no, let's start with the, you know, what is it all about? So, you know, that that's one way that we uh, we take we tussle if we approach some of these things. He's also very much an optimist, uh, as you won't be surprised <laughs> to hear from my other uh, conversation, my other reports of conversations. And I'm I'm more the cynic. So gotcha. we, we we also clash over Austin sometimes on those terms because you can certainly find both of those things in her fiction. And as you're reading, which one comes to the fore? Which one do you emphasize or mm-hmm. you know, at what particular moment? So that tends to be where we disagree with each other, too. I feel like you guys need a podcast now. <laughs> yeah. so with some kind of Smackdown title, I think. There has yeah. to be first. Fantastic. I would be happy to produce it. <laughs> oh, well, OK. To be continued there, too. Well, you you and Hannah have a pretty good gig going and a pretty great life, uh, you know, obviously doing the kinds of fun things that, that you do and that you've produced, but so so do we. It feels like a pretty lucky thing. Yeah. Uh, I think talking about Austin just leads you to questions that, you know, allow you to figure out what does lean, leading a meaningful life mean and yeah. what does leading a fun life mean? And my God, literature should be about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So where did you go on your book tour? So far, yeah. So I was gave a talk at the New York Public Library, uh, which was really wonderful, and it's a place I've really enjoyed working over the years. I've done some research there at the Fourthheimer Collection and at the Berg Collection. So it's a place that I know as a again as a library rat, as well as a place to speak to really interested, interesting people. Uh, then I spent a bunch of um, the month of July in Australia. So oh while a lot, of, a lot of you were in Kentucky or uh, were over at Chawton and other places that, um, you know, made a certain kind of Austenian sense to go, mm-hmm. Australia was uh, the, the place that had presented to speak at this wonderful conference in Adelaide at Flinders University, the Immortal Austin Conference. And so I built... Um, I built a itinerary around that. I got to speak at the National Library of Australia on the death anniversary itself, um, and to do some some pretty cool radio opportunities over there. And the thing that is still blowing my mind is that I ended up talking about Austin on CNN twice, uh, which was not, not something I saw coming. Not something I saw coming. So it was a it was a really great July. So um, man, I'm so jealous. Australia sounds like fun. And there are a lot of really great connections uh, in in the book, in the making of Jane Austen. Janeites who were from Australia, raised in Australia, moved to Australia. So I was able to pull out a lot of those connections. Um, Helen Jerome, for instance, that that first uh, hit Broadway hit playwright, who's yes. first came out in '35. She was uh, probably she was born in London, lived there very little time. Uh, but was raised in New Zealand and Australia. And so being able to bring out that part of things, you know, she, she married a con man who was um, imprisoned in Australia. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> bring in all sorts of great, uh, you know, history of incarceration into the history <laughs> of Jane Austen. Now, um, I did want to talk to you about those stage adaptations because like that's 
that was fascinating for me because I'm just like, I'm a huge theater lover. And um, we talk a lot, obviously, about the TV adaptations on the podcast, but we have not talked about stage at all. And I mean, I, I've only seen like a couple of things on stage. I have this theory that the Brontes work better on stage than Austin does. But when I was reading your book, I was like, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just seeing like poor directed, you know, like the, just, it's not the right direction for me. Well, I really wish we could see both Helen Jerome's 1935 Pride and Prejudice and the next one she did, which was a Jane Eyre starring Catherine Hepburn. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, that would be uh, perfect. Yeah, but I guess it was not the success that Pride and Prejudice was, and I'm, I haven't really dug into it deeply enough to figure out why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I get what you're saying about staging Bronte and that that would work you know, well in, in, um, in a theatrical context, absolutely. Um, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dispute that, Lauren. I think okay. you're on to something. All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I think it's the language. And I think, I don't know, I've seen some really bold, interesting stagings of Jane Eyre recently. So yeah, yeah. if you just leave out the St. John River stuff, you know, <laughs> just leave <Yes>. that off. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. We had a very long discussion about St. John this morning, actually. <laughs> Just keeps cropping up. Him and John Thorpe, I like do not care for, and they just keep cropping up. Oh, but John Thorpe is such a great character. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I, I. He's funny. He's so funny. See, I see. Hannah thinks he's funny, and she likes him, but I can't handle him at all. Reread those lines where he talks about how many pints of of uh, ale they drink in Oxford, and tell me if he isn't hilarious. I mean, unintentionally hilarious, right? But, well, hilarious. you know what? I do want your opinion on this. So we're working on a Bad Lads episode. Uh-huh. And we're casting some um, some British dudes. We have some actors in there and some voiceover guys. Um, and we're going to have them read the li- lines aloud. So I'm thinking like maybe that will help, you know, get that across. So we are doing a John Thorpe. Um, we are disagreeing oh, over who are all the Bad Lads. <laughs> that is also really fascinating. Well, yeah. I hope you, I hope you get somebody who can do utter boorishness for John Thorpe. Uh, yeah, just totally boorish. Just, I mean, he was perfectly cast in um, the ITV Northanger Abbey. I, I, I agree. So yeah, someone someone along those lines. Um, Frank. So are Chir- you disagreeing about oh, Frank Churchill? Okay. Yeah, it's Frank Churchill. I kind yeah. of I think I feel fine about Frank. <laughs> You like Frank? I just I, I missed him. You I, like, you like I like Frank. And, yeah. uh, you know, Hannah's like, no, he's a bad lad. Bad dude. I think he's mixed. Okay. I, 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 you know, I think he is unlikely to make a really great husband from what we can see. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to put him in, uh, you know, villainous territory. Not like Henry Crawford bad. Right. Charming, but devious. You know, I think Frank Churchill is charming, but just... Uh, maybe not always well-intentioned. Yeah, exactly. It's just like a lot of guys I dated in college. Yeah. Ooh, that's sad, right? That's sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, I, and then I got a little wiser. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You were just a little stunted. You, you know, you just didn't know what you were doing. Yeah, it's the thing. So any bad lads do you think that we absolutely need to include besides like maybe the obvious Wickham? And then well, what, of course, Wickham and Willoughby. What are you going to what are you going to do with Mr. Collins? Is he a bad lad or not? That's another one we disagree on because I mean, I actually also really love Collins. OK, now that's problematic. <laughs> Whatever happened with your dating history in your 20s, I, I think you, you need to revisit that. What are you talking about? 
<laughs> you know what? I think it's just Tom Hollander. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, stole the show. Most definitely. He just stole the show in that. Um, it's just the, that, that boiled potatoes line. I, um, uh, yeah, Hannah definitely wants to include Collins and, um, she's going to find the right actor to convince me that he's just a bad lad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, at least you could say he wants to please women, but only if they, you know, only in the most obsequious way if they're powerful and titled. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but at least he wants to please some woman. I mean, some of the bad lads are, you know, absolutely uninterested in pleasing women. Yeah. But I don't think he wants to please Charlotte Lucas very much. No. And that, that's energy should be. Poor Charlotte. Poor, poor Charlotte. Yeah. Let's circle it back around to your book because your book yeah. is awesome. And I really want our, our listeners to read this one. Thank you. I, you know, this was just an utter labor of love. And like you said, starting out with the sense of what's left to say and discovering just how much was left to say was, was cool as a yeah. scholar. Uh, and the weird, quirky things that I found mm-hmm. uh, that I hope, the humor and some of them comes through in the in the writing uh but reading those failed 1940 screenplays uh the pride and prejudice screenplay reading the failed scripts that led up to that really it was hard not to laugh out loud um in so the library awesome uh, you know these early screenwriters and there were at least eight who were cycled through before the olivier garson uh script that we now you know know through the film sure came came to fruition from Aldous Huxley and Jane Murfin. There were, you know, eight screenplay writers before that. Uh, and they really botched things like badly. Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite scene that didn't make it onto the big screen, thankfully, uh, was one of the writers decided that there needed to be more sort of lad culture, sort of bromance scenes. <laughs> Clearly, they were trying to make a version that would appeal more to male viewers. And they decided that after they got, um, after Darcy was able to separate Bingley from Jane, uh, that what they would do is Colonel Fitzwilliam, Darcy, and Bingley would all go to London and have a kind of boys weekend. And they were going to start out by going to this dog monkey fight, uh, this prize winning (laughs) uh, champion monkey fighting against a dog and bet on one seat. Will Colonel Fitzwilliam bet on the monkey? Will Darcy bet on the dog? Uh, And then go from there to a masquerade ball with this charming, uh, sultry, seductive sultana and trying to get Bingley's attention. So it was was all just very ridiculous. In a way, I'm kind of sad that it doesn't exist, but it's also it's also really good that it, it didn't make it to the big screen. I mean, Hannah and I will definitely write that bromance. <laughs> I'm definitely down for that. That's amazing. Just like how off the mark it is. I think they were really reaching to try to make it appeal to contemporary audiences. Yeah. And so they're trying everything. They were trying screwball, screwball comedy. They were trying Westerns. There's a scene where Lydia's uh, shooting a gun. Yeah, I mean, there's just... <laughs> Lots of horses and scenes with mud being splattered all over Elizabeth. And then that didn't work. So let's splatter mud all over Darcy and uh, just crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, But, uh, you know, I think also gives the lie to the film, the Austin critics and film scholars who's tried to say this was a work of World War II propaganda or Mm -hmm. this was a recycling of Gone with the Wind costumes. Um, You know, I think just looking at how many darts they threw at this dartboard shows that there was not one ideological message that some Hollywood cabal was trying to put out there. 
Now, um, this morning, Hannah and I had a really long discussion about the new um, Mammoth Films adaptation. Yeah. Which, I don't know if you have a take on that. I know that Nina Rain has said she has not seen uh, any adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. So I, I did read that quote. And what I thought, um, having just finished this book about all of these images and sort of her pop cultural history, is even if that's true, there is no way that Colin Firth's wet white shirt scene has not in some way come into her consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that she's not influenced in some way by these previous actors and images. There's, you can't be. Yeah. You can't I, be. I, I, yeah, I was like, is that possible in Britain? Like, it just happens to you. I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. It doesn't mean that she, I, you know, I believe her that she hasn't seen these films. I don't believe her that she's starting with a blank slate. Yeah. Yeah. In this kind of image-saturated moment for Austin, and one of the things my book shows, I hope, is that image saturation dates back to the 1830s for her, with illustrations right. first starting to be added to her novels. Uh, you know, the, but we're in a, a even different kind of saturation moment, and you can't you can't read Austin without seeing a book cover or <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, a film trailer or a poster or that ridiculous three meter statue or whatever, you know, however tall statue was. And that was in the middle of London Lake. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. It, uh, I mean, I just don't believe that these aren't somehow in the back of her mind. Uh, doesn't mean that she'll respond to them in any mm -hmm. particular way, but you, you cannot approach Pride and Prejudice as a blank slate. I just, I just don't yeah. think that's possible. Yeah, it's true. Um, Everyone has an opinion. And what I love about your book is that it is about it. I mean, it is about the making of Jane Austen. It's about like how she became a cultural icon and her evolving image. And um, everyone has an opinion. Like Hannah and I were traveling in England a few weeks ago and we're, you know, on a train and a dude just starts talking to us about Jane Austen. Admits that he hasn't read it, any of it, <laughs> but hadn't definitely had an opinion. Yeah. And yeah. um actually also called us anti-feminists for liking Jan Austen. Really? Yes. That is That is fascinating. So we were like, okay. That's where you needed to say, hey, the suffragists, <laughs> you know, people trying to get women's voting rights in the early 20th century were using Jane Austen. So how is that anti-feminist? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> there was a whole smackdown. It was recorded, though, thankfully. <laughs> But, oh my gosh oh wow wonderful yeah so I'm, I will put that on the show um for sure but like it just you know everyone has an opinion it because it, it just like I said it happens to you like yeah the book covers she's on money now you can't get away from her yeah and you know again going back to my own story maybe my mother giving me an image of a book she'd never read makes me see a little bit more the ways in which even for people who aren't avid readers there's still this cultural understanding or cultural debate about what Jane Austen means, mm -hmm. even without having a great familiarity with her novels. It's just people would have come in the past through, through book listation, through political discussions, through what they heard in schools or reading excerpts. Excerpts are really popular in schools mm -hmm. or through these, these stage adaptations in the early films. Now, um, when your students like what are your what are your students thoughts like how are they coming to it and i'm sure they've read austin in high school possibly but sometimes they have okay. um i what i find now is kira knightley and lizzie bennett diaries uh and, oh yeah you know, okay these so and it's usually kira knightley 
that actor from Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> right? so, yeah. So, but they they mostly seem to like that 2005 Joe Wright adaptation more than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, uh, I think it's really a Bronteization of Austin, which that's is probably why I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting concept. Uh, but that's the one that they come to saying, "This is my Pride and Prejudice," and okay. so that also starts us off with some interesting conversations uh, that I, I have fun with. Or, or they know the the Pemberley Digital uh, series. Okay, gotcha. Okay, that's good. Sometimes clueless. I would say that's a little more rare. Right. Uh, right. But th- that still has obviously a huge following and deservedly so. Um, and some people come to the undergraduate courses knowing that that's an Austin adaptation. What are some of the uh, like adaptations or what, what books are you reading sort of in the Jane Austen universe? Well, I'm not a real Jeff. Uh, I, I don't read deeply in Jeff. So mm-hmm. I should start by saying that. But I just read Kathleen Flynn's Jane Austen Project, which yeah. is amazing. I love it. Uh, and so I would I would recommend that one. It's definitely not for someone who can't do the off-color parts. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, there's plenty of contemporary and past. Uh, it has a time travel angle, as your viewers, uh, as your listeners might know. Uh, I, I think it's really beautifully done and thoughtful and makes us think differently about Austin's life about Austin in the present Austin in her own day um, I just think it's a great it's a great time travel novel and a great piece of, of Jaff uh, as well that's awesome I yeah I've uh, started it I have started like 10 books recently and then I keep <laughs> reading around but I, I really love it I love um, time travel and uh, Doctor Who I just have to say I, I love Doctor Who because that really annoys Hannah yeah. um, <laughs> well this this one is definitely worth reading yeah okay I'm gonna I'm uh, gonna finish uh, it I'm gonna knuckle down and you might know I know that you've been doing a lot of work on the Austin erotica stuff you and Hannah and yes. I, I did a, a piece for Salon on the history of Austin and erotica Austin porn uh, at least softcore porn in July and uh, one of the things that I got to talk about there is this 1981 novel called Virtues and Vices which is really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll just start by saying <laughs> that. Uh, but it's probably the first piece of Austin porn. And if you are Austin inspired porn, it's a rewriting of Persuasion set in Edwardian England. Okay. Uh, it was written by an author named Grania Beckford, which turns out to be a pseudonym. And the name uh, of the man, it turns out to be, who was pretending to be this woman author was Roger Longrig. And I just love mm-hmm. that Austin's first pornographer was named Roger Long rig. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's like life is better than fiction. Uh, but if you find one before 1981, you two have to let me know. Oh, for sure. I I don't know that we will. You know, what's funny is because we we're trying to do a whole naughty bonnets week, and I have given a bunch of my friends who are willing to come on the show various um, adaptations mm-hmm. <laughs> to read and then come and discuss on the show. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to get authors and I've only successfully like gotten one author to come on the show and talk really? about. That's yeah, I know. Like they don't want to talk about their naughty Jane Austen books or, yeah. or, or Bronte books, too. There's a few of those out there. Right. So I should say the, the naughty Austen stuff didn't make it into my book, The Making of Jane Austen, because really I've only gone up to 75. Okay. Uh, 
in that book into 1975, which I, I think of as kind of the middle period, 1833 to 1975, the middle period of how her fame mm-hmm. solidified and kind of came into being. But I'm really proud of the visuals that are in the book. And I've also added to my website, makingjaneaustin.com, some of the images that didn't we didn't have the resources to put in the book, but to sort of add to our sense of the visual history of Austin. And I want to keep building that, but I've got okay. some of those up there now if your listeners want to check that out. My favorite image that's in the book is that um, that cartoon, not cartoon, um, image that is from uh, the National Lampoon. I'm trying to find the exact image, but it's, it was a, a college dorm room poster that was from the early 70s. And it is, I think, really, really hilarious. It shows, um, it's the, the tagline is, Jane Austen, isn't that the kind of cupcake that used to sell at the A&P? Uh, and it's sorry, cupcake, but Jane's nobody's food. Uh, <laughs> and I, I hope that, uh, you know, the people will check out the book and check yeah. out this poster, which was, certainly was in dorm rooms in the early 70s and in, in college dorm rooms in the early 70s. And oh, my I God. Just, I'm like, I love that right now. I wanna, I'm like, I want to pull this up right now. Yeah. I love that Jane Austen has a National Lampoon afterlife. Yeah. I, you know, I really need to dive into some of those images, too, because um, I feel like I've been writing some of the comics for the book and the Jane comics are the ones that I struggle with as well. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, because I want to we have a thing. Get your take on this, because um, Hannah's very much like Jane Austen is you know, like part of my French, like no fucking frills. Like, yeah. She yeah. just thinks this is this is how she is for her. And, she, you know, we see too many to use like Nina Rain's word, too many bonnety things out there. And so our aesthetic is, you know, I don't know, we're, we're just, we're trying to go a little bit more badass. I think that's great. Um, and I, again, I think there's a, there's a great badass history for you to draw on yeah. uh, that, you know, people have uh, papered over or forgotten. I don't know that I could say it's an intentional forgetting, mm-hmm. but I, I love the Dear Jane 1932 stage play where two, um, where two women who were lovers played Jane and Cassandra on stage. They were offstage oh. lovers and they played Jane and Cassandra Austin on stage. And I, I just, I love this detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love this sort of queer history of Austin that just has gone, I think unrecognized and untold. Uh, but that is, is out there. So if yeah. that's, bon- if that's bonity, it's a very different kind of bonity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We are different kind of bonity ladies over here. Yes, love it. <laughs> what is great about your book, and I also like don't want to give it away too much, is I want people to just like, I want you guys to go read it, um, is just how Jane Austen's image has been co-opted by certain groups over time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like the boys club, like which is like the beginning <laughs> chapters. Oh, I'm glad you like that one. Uh, you know, and the, the earliest political debate I can find about Austin in British Parliament is from 1872, oh which I think is amazing. But the section you're talking about is from the early 1900s. And at the same time that Austin's name is being marched the street on banners by suffragettes, which I talk about, mm-hmm. uh, she's also being claimed as apolitical in these elite private men's clubs and that these things can be going on you know, not at exactly the same moment necessarily, but more or less in the same milieu. Uh, it's, yeah. ama- it's amazing. And not unlike today with, uh, you know, I think when we talk about, oh, my gosh, the alt-right claiming Jane Austen, what does mm-hmm. that mean? I'm not saying that doesn't worry me. Uh, I think right. it's a, a deep, deep misreading of her as well. Uh, but, 
if you look at the longer history, these political fights about her have been going on a century and a half. Right. And that's because she's not overtly political, right? I mean... Or I think she gives us wiggle room to throw in our own politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I think she she puts political statements in a sort of sly way, in a way that asks questions, rather than a didactic way or a moralizing way that tell it's not a treatise. It's not telling us here's what here's what you need to believe. Here's (laughs) here's what's right. Uh, You know, there were certainly plenty of people in her day doing that. And I think I have a, a take that sees her more in line with a lot of the liberals and the progressives of her day mm-hmm. in the ways that she frames questions, but she is definitely not saying here's the one answer. Right. And and I think that's what allows people to go in and say, well, if there isn't this one answer, then maybe we should <laughs> maybe we should shift what she's saying in this lens or exactly, yeah. p- pick up on this particular part but not this part. Uh, she allows you to be a really a sort of selective reader i think of a lot of political details um it's it's not easy to put her to pin her down and yeah. i think that's in, i think that's intentional and it's a beautiful artistry so i find it a plus rather than a minus and we are back with round two of your best books of 2017 so let's jump into a few more suggestions here uh becca allen suggested conversations with friends by sally rooney Library Mary recommends The Hate You Give, um, which, oh my God, The Hate You Give is probably, I feel like it's on every book of the year list right now. It's been on my to read list forever. Um, It was also recommended by Sarah Pesci and uh, Mary Kravinas. Uh, Library Mary also recommends Charlotte Bronte's A Fiery Heart, which uh, is by Claire Hartman, and I have not read that one yet, I'm but sure, it is definitely on my list. I'm sure you will. Yeah, we'll get around. We'll get around to it. <laughs> Every single Bronte bio. Um, she also wrote down Austin at Home by Lucy Worsley. Have you read that one? Is yet? that out yet? It is. Oh yeah. Which is the one that isn't out? I went. I went to buy an Austin book the other day, and it. I'm sure it's one that we've talked about a, a lot of times, and I was. I, I'm sure it's that one, but maybe it was a new Paula Byrne book. Maybe. Who knows? There's so many. There's That's so funny. many. Um, she also really loved Eligible by Curtis Sittenfield, which I am reading literally right now, like at this moment. That's right next to me. Um, I'm going to be discussing it on the show in just a couple of weeks. So I've got to finish that this weekend. I'm liking it so far. It's really fun. And it's actually the rights, I think, were uh, picked up. So I think it's going to be a TV show or a movie. Well, so, yeah, it's uh, it's a modern day Pride and Prejudice, Hannah. So I know what it is. It has been mentioned oh, enough times <laughs> at this point. I will lend it to you when I'm done, too, as well. OK, so over to you. Good. I, yeah. I can't wait to read it next summer. <laughs> Whoa. <gasps> Was that a ghost or a cat? Oh my god, that was horrible. What was it? The end of my curtain rail just fell off on its own and smashed the food bowl for my cat on the floor beneath it, just split it in half. If one of my cats had been eating their food, honestly, they would be dead. Good lord. Oh, my heart is pounding. I'm going to have to buy a new bloody food bowl. (laughs) <laughs> good lord that was nuts so, 
So it was a ghost. Don't, Lauren. <laughs> Unnecessary, frankly. <laughs> so it was a sudden movement. Yeah, but like the window shut. And I am on Did my Did someone walk by? Room. No, I'm alone. I am alone in the house. <laughs> well. Oh, no. I guess I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> Sorry, Hannah. Sorry. It's okay. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. It's okay. I'll go to my my happy place. So uh, a lot. Go of to people, your happy place. A lot of people picked up the classics this year. Uh, Maze Teapot and Suspect Nuggles both listed Middlemarch, which I think is a fantastic book. It's really good. I hope at some point we can talk about that. Zippy Ellie oh, yeah. and Kristen Shuck. Uh, you were rapping Sense and Sensibility. Rendezvous good choice, good choice. Also listed To Kill a Mockingbird and A Tale of Two Cities. I, I feel like I read To Kill a Mockingbird quite late. I think I read it maybe three years ago. That's beautiful. Oh, really? I haven't read it since I was a kid. I think maybe I was like uh, 11 or 12 when I read it, so... I remember this I should definitely look history at it again. teacher at my school. She gave it to a bunch of students and it was like, it was her favorite book. But she she was like the young, cool teacher that everyone liked, but she only really talked to the students that she liked. And so I didn't like her. And mm. I think I didn't like To Kill a Mockingbird for that reason. <laughs> for like right. a long time, because I was like <laughs> jealous, like deeply jealous. And then I read mm -hmm. it and was like, oh, I guess it's all right, lady. I guess it's all right. <laughs> Um, Rosemary Ray, uh, 7.13. Love Little Women, so good news for you, Louisa May Alcott. She's going to be around a lot next year. And mm -hmm. uh, SCP-79, which is a great name, you sound like a character in Stargate, said that Persuasion <laughs> was one of your top reads this year. And that's, you know, true for me too. I reread it. It's a great book. We could just all keep reading it in a loop. Let's never stop reading it. <laughs> Let's never not be reading Persuasion. There you go. I reread Pers Persuasion this year as well. And it was a great time. I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed it the first time. Good. So how about that? Yeah. So it went up in my estimation. But we will talk about that more in a couple weeks when we talk That's about so Persuasion cool. versus Villette. <laughs> we keep putting this episode off. We've got to talk about it before I completely forget everything that I have to say. Um, so yeah, I want to give um, a shout out to Simon from Caterpillar Poetry for putting John Wedgwood Clark's Landfill on my radar. Now, this is um, poetry, and Simon describes it as beautiful poetry about rubbish tips. That which, sounds great. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. <laughs> All right, Simon, you got my attention. Um, Judge underscore Re, uh, also big shout out to you for recommending Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Great book for anyone that loves Doctor Who, Hannah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Have you read Neverwhere? No. It's lovely. It's very short <laughs> as well. Very, very short. Very good. And another shout out to Esther Joy Bell for hating Valette. Yeah. <laughs> So don't worry, Esther, we're going to talk about that more I feel that. in a few weeks. 
Now, that is it for our uh, book of the years, but we've got some housekeeping, general housekeeping. Isn't that right, Lauren? Oh, no. Yeah, we Does do. That, that we didn't do. make it sound interest, as interesting as it is. I know it wasn't as sexy as, you know, housekeeping should be. And now it's time for some housekeeping. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that sexy That's much voice. Better. I was really, Thank you. I was really trying, but I think I just sounded... Like a, a weird flight attendant who is <laughs> working on like slow down speed. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Season two. We're going to talk about season two. Now it's just to let you know that we're going to be going on a, a break during February. We will have a Valentine's Day episode. So you can enjoy that. On Valentine's Day, I will be uh, at graduation. It's true. Hannah's got a lot going on in February. It'll be your birthday. My birthday, graduation. I'm going to Sweden. Graduation. You're going to Sweden. So that's one of the reasons we've got to go on a break. The other reason is that we've got to um, edit all of that audio from our last trip to England uh, for the next season. And it's like, it's a lot of audio. We've got a lot of episodes um, yeah. that we just need to really, really need to work on. <laughs> And to let you know that, just like the Elizabeth Gaskell episodes, next year we will be talking about Louise and May Alcott through the month of May. So very similarly to our North and South read-along, we will be reading the wonderful, life-changing book, Eight Cousins. Now, this book Exciting. was so special to me when I was a child. I think I, I read it dozens of times. Um... This it's Rose is surrounded just by male relatives at all times and then all of her aunts, but there's a real generational divide. So she's got all of these aunts, they live on the hill, it's called Aunt Hill. And uh then they've all had boy children. And so there's a, a real generational divide between the men and the women and how Rose should behave and like what role she should be taking in the family. That's really interesting. It's great. I, I also can relate to that a little bit as like, I have a ton of aunts who are all like mothers to me and they all had boy children and I have a brother and I'm like the only girl. So yeah, that's one of the reasons that it appealed to me. One of the many, but it was a really hard choice between eight cousins and old fashioned girl. Yeah. And one, one of the reasons that I was, <coughs> sorry. That's okay. One of the reasons that I was unsure about Eight Cousins is that it does have a sequel, which isn't something that happens a lot in um, mm -hmm. the books that we look at on the show, I don't think. The authors that we're looking at tend to do these standalone novels, but Louisa May Alcott does write sequels. Right. Um, and so it almost feels a bit like if you do one, are you telling like an incomplete story? Should you look at the others? But Rose in Bloom happens, you know, multiple years later. And uh, the basis of it is all, it's all set up in Eight Cousins. And I think you can, you can really read it as a standalone book. So. Well, a lot of people do also read Little Women as a standalone book and they ignore the sequel. So. Yeah. And I, we're not know, the I only ones. <laughs> I know. And we had talked about possibly reading Little Women, but I think that one is, is read quite a bit. It's discussed quite a bit. We wanted to do something that was a little bit different, something yeah. a little bit under the radar. And um, also in May, 
Louisa May Alcott. I didn't even plan it, guys. It just <laughs> happened that way. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, May also is when the Little Women that just aired on BBC, I think this week or last week, by the time this airs. It was on Boxing Day. Um, it was on Boxing Day. Um, did you watch it? I didn't because we're watching it for the yeah. show. <laughs> Because we're watching it for the show. So we're going to do, um, we're going to watch it, we're going to live tweet it when it airs on PBS in May. And uh, yeah, I know a lot of you guys watched it. I saw a lot of your tweets. Um, so hopefully you'll rewatch it with us or, you know, want to discuss it with us in May. Um, so yeah, I, th- I figured, you know, not really going to be worth a, a reread if we're going to watch it. So uh, Eight Lauren. Cousins is the book that we're going with. Careful hmm. with those words. Not worth a, a reread because we're watching it. Obviously, it is. She doesn't mean it. But I know, yeah, as a Brit, I'm like, oh God, you haven't read it. Like, this didn't come up in school. We know about you it. You should. I think you I should. Think yeah. Just, it kind of like, it just infiltrates because of American culture. So you hear about it. Like, I saw the episode of yeah. Little House on the Prairie where the daughter cuts her hair off because she's playing Joe so that her mum will come to see the play. She like she buys okay. her a new dress and stuff. And I saw the Kirsten Dunst and Winona Ryder mm-hmm. like adaptation. And I think I've listened to a, a, an audio book or a radio play. Oh, okay. So yeah, I feel like it's, it's we've done it. Yeah, because the BBC, they've just done an audio, an audio book. Not like you know a drama. They've it's just dramatized over there. it on the radio, so it's having a real, okay. it's having a real moment. It's having a moment. Um, yes, I you know yeah I I would like to revisit it someday, but I'm curious to read her other work. It's so wonderful. I'm actually just I'm really really excited for Eight Cousins actually, and I think um, Eight Cousins is. Kind of short, so I think we're only going to recap it over three or four episodes. Yeah. Um, but we also will be talking about Louisa May Alcott's life, which is fascinating. Um, and if we're lucky, we might a- go and see her house. Yeah, if we're lucky. I'm hoping that we can drive over the summer. Um, <laughs> there is a literary house. Um, God knows that Hannah and I love <laughs> visiting literary <laughs> homes. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. But, uh, yeah, guys, totally pick up Eight Cousins. I think it's free on Kindle or you can get, um, you know, hardback or paperback. And definitely if you do, then send us pictures because I want to see your books. Send us bookstagrams. What else is coming up in season two? Oh, man, we have so many good things coming up in season two. Um, one thing that I can't talk about yet because we haven't finalized all everything, but I really want to talk about what is our um beep that out. <laughs> I want to talk about it. It's so exciting. Like it the is, emails, but you can't. The plan. It's all so good. You can't nailing down the John Mullen. <laughs> John Mullen? John I'm just Mullen? beeping all this part out. John <laughs> Mullen, do you know anything about Emily Bronte? Listen, I have John Mullen's email. At some point, I will use it. I remember when I once had Simon Callow's email, and I felt like the dog's dick. 
don't know who that is. It's just like some actor, just like some old man some, actor. Some actor. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, he's lovely. I mean, I'm I'm trying to get Roger Allen's email, just unrelated Stop to it. Emily bicentenary plans, but you know. Stop it. <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, I need to reach out to Mammoth Productions again real quick, too. Just really need to see who's being cast in that Pride and Prejudice remake. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to make sure that Roger's on the list. Um, anyway, season two, stuff that I can actually talk about. Okay. So what I can say is that we have, um, the first at least six months worth of programming, like totally lined up. Like we have some really interesting and exciting stuff going on. But we have left in some spots for like suggestions <coughs> because um, I know a lot of you guys have some, you know, people that you'd like us to bring on the show or some topics that you'd like us to cover. So if that is the case, then I would like for you to go to our Facebook group and take a short survey. Um, the survey would be super helpful. And I swear to God, it's really short. Just we want to know a couple things like how did you find the podcast? That's really important for us um and then also just is there a guest or is there a topic you want us to cover so you can go ahead and make that suggestion and what you ate if for you breakfast. don't have and what you ate for breakfast like we always want to know that i always appreciate it when you guys leave those in our itunes reviews it's fun to read um so yeah if you don't have facebook and you're just you know you can you can slide into our dms on twitter that's fine <laughs> but um it'd be so great if you took the survey i'd love you forever so yeah, she actually would. And once you've got her, it's very hard to get rid of her. It's true. Yeah. I'll just be all up in your Facebook Messenger all day long. She just flutters everywhere. If you do want to slide into our DMs, <laughs> you can do that at Bonnets at Dawn on both Instagram and Twitter. You can join our mm -hmm. Facebook group, Bonnets at Dawn. Request to join. Tell us if you're Team Austin, Team Bronte, Team Alcott, Team Gaskell. Anyone? Sounds good. You can email Sounds us good. bonnets at dawn at gmail.com if you are a re representative of Amazon Prime. Maybe yeah, we'll and you like to money. advertise on this show. Yeah, I mean, this is a great example of what we can do for you. <laughs> <laughs> Barnes and Noble will also accept the money. Uh, That's fine. I'm frankly, I'll take an audible contract. I'm sick of hearing about that on other people's podcasts. Oh my God. Let me tell you. Yeah. Seriously. Campaign, TV adverts, podcast adverts. I want I wanna like attract some sponsors that are um like not advertising on podcasts. Like uh oh, who's what? my favorite? I want Zip Recruiter, like Blue Apron, uh, <laughs> Harry's Razor, Casper Mattress. Yeah, Casper yeah. Mattress, Squarespace. <laughs> I want oh, postage. people postage.com oh that's right yeah. that's right <laughs> <laughs> I want edible arrangements that's what I want you want the weirdest just shit also well I just feel very passionately about edible arrangements as you know um like I said like every time you get an edible arrangement like you feel like a queen it's just like it just makes my just makes my year hey Lauren so what I want an <laughs> I know you're beeping that out. I know I knew you were gonna say that. 
I'm going to send you a bouquet of pineapples shaped like roses and you're just going to feel amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. You need one right now. Huh? You need one right now. Some like extra vitamin C. I need some ice cream. And luckily I've got 270 lactase tablets to make that (laughs) dream come true. Well, if those lactose tablets want to sponsor this podcast, they can go right ahead. (laughs) 